Let's, uh, let's open in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, please. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, strange verse that uh, I'm sure maybe as you've heard said or misquoted or mistaught or messed around with. And uh, it actually was part of a question that was asked of us uh, or asked of us a couple of weeks ago. It's about will we recognize each other after this life is over? And uh, the second part of the question, the, the individual included this verse, Matthew 22, verse 30. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And so the question was really, into my mind, was a two-parter. Will we recognize each other after this life? The answer seems, yeah. I mean, maybe all the details of it are a little foggy, but it seems to be, yes. I mean, I don't know where the comfort would be if you weren't going to see those people again in some way, shape, or form. But the second part of that question, which I alluded to last week that I wanted to touch on, was... Will the relationship be the same? And to that, the answer is a pretty clear no. The relationship won't be the same. We may know each other and whatever memories, that stuff is foggy. I won't speculate on that. But will we recognize each other? The Bible seems to say yes. Will the relationship be the same and the dynamic be the same? The answer to that seems to be no. Now, you might start, oh, is that a bad thing? Well, let's, let's break it down here. Let's read Matthew 22. Let's give the Savior a chance to talk about it. Let's start at verse 23 of Matthew 22. And in this passage here, the Sadducees, who are a religious uh, group that is nowhere founded in the Bible. You understand that, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, find me the verse where God instituted those groups. They're not there. They were kind of man-made constructs, right, that just sprung up. And these people were uh, whited sepulchers. And in verse 23, verse 23, these Sadducees are trying to trap Jesus Christ. Now, in the previous bunch of verses, the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus Christ about, you know, um, who do we pay the tribute to, right? Render unto Caesar the things of the Caesars. So Jesus takes a shot, knocks out the Pharisees, and now the Sadducees, who are a rival bunch of idiots, I mean religious people, they were coming up to try to confound Jesus their time. And in verse 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees, so they're like right there. They watch the Pharisees walk with their tail between their legs, and the Sadducees are like, we're going to get them, right? So they jump up and it says, um, which say that there is no resurrection. That's really important because these people are going to be such hypocrites. They're going to ask Jesus about a resurrection that they don't even believe in. And the Holy Spirit slips that in, right? Because the Holy Spirit always spots a hypocrite. And asked him saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. If you want the cross reference for that, it's Deuteronomy 25.5. That's where it actually says that if, you're, you know, if your brother's wife dies, you had to take her to be your wife and raise up seed. Right? So the name would continue and the, and the inheritance would stay in the family. Uh, verse 25. Now, there, now they got it. Ready? Now there were with us seven brethren. And the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, remember, which they don't even believe in, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. And Jesus goes, oh man, I better check my commentaries. Oh oh man, I better text my pastor. No, look what he says in 29. He says, Jesus answered and said unto them, ye do err. You guys are making a big mistake. 
not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And that end of that verse 30 is Jesus Christ revealing a change in our relationship that would happen in the resurrection. And that verse, I want to just spend a lot of time breaking down that verse, because there's three parts to that phrase, as the angels of God in heaven. We're going to really see if we're Bible believers tonight, because we're just going to take the Bible, how it says it, where it says it, the way it says it. Jesus says in the resurrection, those people that come back from the dead and rise from the dead will be as the angels of God in heaven. So we're going to go down a little deep and stay a little bit just to kind of like whet your spiritual appetites and give you some food from the Bible to show you how miraculous this book is. And what an amazing future awaits us. So let's start with the first part, okay? We're going to be as something, as. The two most important words in your Bible are like and as, okay? That's where God creates similitudes. He compares things to other things. And in that comparison is how you learn things, right? I'm an educator. That's how you learn anything. You know how a kid learns shapes? This is a circle, this is a square, this is a dog, this is a cat, this is a boy, this is a girl. And in that similitude and in that comparison, the mind in those divisions is able to formulate ideas. But when you make everything the same, it is very hard to learn and grow. Don't think that this mongrel group of people that the devil is trying to make the world into is just by no design. It is by design to dumb us down and make us unable to learn things and even communicate with one another. Off the soapbox. So, as means, right? As means same. Now go with me to Luke chapter 20. Let's show you, let's do a little scripture with scripture here where Jesus kind of actually explains what the word as means in Luke chapter 20. It's the same same account And he's going to say it a little differently here. Luke chapter 20, verse number 34. All right? Luke chapter 20, verse number 34. The Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world, speaking of the world to come, and the resurrection from the dead, very important words, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore. Amen. (laughs) Um, For they are equal unto the angels. So in the book of Matthew, Jesus says they're as the angels. In the book of Luke, he says they're equal unto the angels. And the word as means same. So the first thing we got to take away from this verse is that in the resurrection, we're going to have some kind of similarity and equality with the angels. All right, just hold on to that thought. That's the first big takeaway that shows how will our relationship possibly be different in the resurrection. There's going to be a similarity. We're going to be very equal unto the angels, as the angels, okay? So that's number one. That's short and easy. And it says we're going to be as the angels of God. Very, very interesting. Go back to Matthew chapter 25, right? Matthew 25, please. 
Please know, Bible students, and I know this is Bible study, so I know we're going in like heavy here, coming in guns hot, but not all angels are angels of God. There are, in fact, the expression, just, think, just so God could establish it, the expression holy angels appears four times in your Bible. And God is making a point, when God uses something four times, He's trying to establish a truth. And in Matthew 25, verse 31, uh, I'll, I'll write them for you here, just in case you want them. And you don't have to turn to all of them. Matthew 25, 31, uh, Mark 8, 38, and Luke 9, 26, are, and, and then also Revelation 14, 10, all use this expression, holy angels, holy angels. And that wasn't somebody watching an angel run across his lawn and go, holy angels. No, that's a designation, holy angels, right? That there are angels that are holy, and there are angels that are not. There are angels that are angels of God, and there are angels that are not angels of God, that are not following God. Ready? Let's look at Matthew 25, 31. Three of these verses that deal with holy angels are all talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, 31 is the one we'll just look at. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man, that's the designation of Jesus Christ, right? When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. So, that is a good thing, right? This is Jesus Christ coming back to earth, probably happening very soon, coming soon to a city near you. Jesus Christ is going to literally, physically, demonstrably, truthfully return to this earth to set up a kingdom. The throne of His glory will be in Jerusalem, and His angels, the holy angels, God's angels, are coming with Him. Now, notice a contrast in Matthew 25, keep reading, verse number 41, all right? Now, Jesus Christ comes back. He crushes the Antichrist, amen? He, the blood is going to be up to the bridle. It's just going to fill that whole valley of Megiddo, right? And then, he, then the nations are going to come, and he's going to judge the nations in Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats are not who gets into heaven, and who gets into hell. No, no, no. It's what nations go into the millennium and what nations do not go into the millennium. And it makes nice preaching about when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. But that has nothing to do with this dispensation. That has nothing to do with how anybody gets saved. That's how did you treat my Jewish people in the tribulation? And those nations will be judged by their treatment of the Hebrew. And he's going to say, you did it unto one of the least of these my brethren, a designation he used for the Jewish people. Now watch what happens in verse 41. What does he say to the bad guys? Then shall he, meaning Jesus, when he does this judgment, also say, say also unto them on the left hand. Right hand is good. Left hand is bad. Just remember that in November. Right? Left, right? The left hand. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and, what does it say? His angels, right? So God has angels and the devil has angels. God has angels that are following him, the holy angels, and the devil has angels that have followed him in their rebellion, in his rebellion. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Let me just show you. So 
These three times, Matthew 25, Mark 8, Luke 9, are all basically saying the same thing. They're all about the second coming, when he comes with his holy angels. Whenever there's a pattern of four in the Bible, one is different. And Revelation 14 is different. It's not about Jesus Christ necessarily coming. It's about what happens to the people in the tribulation that followed the Antichrist and worshipped the beast and took the mark. And look what it says. Read from Revelation 14 with me at verse number 9. Bible's a wild book, man. You thought like Netflix was wild? This is wild stuff. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, okay, you can't get the mark snuck on you, it's about worship, worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, watch this, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, so God's dumping all of his wrath on them, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, watch it, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So those holy angels, they're watching something. The holy angels are going to see what happens to people that follow the devil. They're going to see the eventual fate of those rebels who follow the Antichrist, who's the devil incarnate. You say, why did the angels have to watch that? Because they were part of the rebellion in the beginning. The angels way back when, some of those angels way back when, not the ones watching, yeah, not the holy angels, but some of their compatriots followed Lucifer way back when, and he's saying, oh, so that's what, that's what was going to happen to them. That's the eventual end of them. They're going to watch them tormented and burning, and the, and the Bible is very specific to say that the holy angels are going to be watching this torment happening. Now, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. All right, let me give you one more about these holy angels. It gives them another name, another, another place. 1 Timothy 5.21. And if you, I might elicit about 100 follow-up questions from this one. All right, but let's, let's get into it here. Am I making sense so far? Amen. All right, because I'm trying to like, think about how do I process this and like make it not like, if you saw my notepad, it doesn't look normal. It's just like scribbling. And sometimes I enjoy something I'm studying and I'm like, oh, wait, I have to tell somebody else this. So I have to like, let me put this together here. So 1 Timothy 5.21, Paul is giving Timothy a charge, right? Timothy is his son in the faith. Timothy is his young pastor. Uh, probably the pastor at the church of Ephesus. And um, he's given him a charge, which is like, kind of like a command, like kind of like, let's go get him, son. Like, you know, man up, let's do this for God. And in 521, he says, I charge thee before God. Why? Because God is watching. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is watching. And the elect angels. You see, there's some angels that are in a right standing with God, which are called the elect angels, another designation for the holy angels. And there will be the opposite of elect. The opposite will be rejected. The rejected angels are the ones over here that are going to the lake of fire. But he tells Timothy, Timothy, there are some people watching you, Timothy. God is watching you. Your Savior is watching you. And we know they're one. And there's some angels that are watching you. You know, in this dispensation, the angels are watchers. 
In fact, the book of Daniel, chapter 4, I'll just throw this in there for fun, verse 17, calls angels watchers. The watchers. The watchers. So they're, Now, they're very active in the Jewish dispensation. You ever see Jesus? They're ministering to his body. Uh, They're all over that, right? They're all over the Old Testament. They're all over Jesus' ministry, that they're in the wilderness with him, that they are strengthening him. But in this dispensation, you know what they're doing? They're watching. What does Peter write? They're looking down and wondering about what you have here in Christ. They're looking into the grace that you have. And he says, Timothy, those angels are watching Do this for the glory of God, because guess what? What we do in the church is not just about you. It's a demonstration to those principalities and powers in heavenly places that God is wise and God is just, because before there were dirtballs like you, there were beings like them, and some of them rebelled and some of them didn't. And God is orchestrating this thing with man to show those beings, I am just and I am wise and I am right. So when he charges this young pastor, he says, hey, there's some people watching you, Timothy. And we could preach on that a little bit, couldn't we? Because there's always somebody watching your life. It could be a child. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. It could be a co-worker that you think doesn't give two flips about you and your Jesus, but they're always watching. And your life is always making an impact. Whether you realize it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, your life is always making an impact. Here, doctrinally, yes. He's saying, Timothy, what you do with that word of God that's been committed to you is going to show those beings whether God is just and worthy. But on a human level, what you do with the word of God that you've been given and the truth that you know is going to be a testimony to all the people that are watching, including the elect angels. Because the Bible says, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You are God's demonstration of His loving kindness and His goodness. Chew on that for a little bit. (laughs) Chew on that for a little bit. So, they're watchers. Now, what are the angels of God like? Let's go to Genesis 19. So, we've separated this thing here that there are angels of God that are watching. We're, we're, we're equal to them. We're like them. We're the same as them in the resurrection. Okay, so what are they like? Let's look. Can I erase? I'm going to erase this middle part here. I'm going to write something else in here. Oh, of course, I'm going to break my board. Go to Genesis 19 with me, please. All right? And let's, let's try to do a little stare and compare here. About, let's learn a little bit about angels. We're obviously not going to do an exhaustive study on angels as I break the board and do a little on-the-job training here. All right, let's find that thing here. Little dabble, do you? All right, uh, let's go to Genesis 19 and look at verse number one. All right? Amen. You know how you learn the Bible? You find passages and you just compare them. You compare scripture with scripture and you'll see God will change a word here to shed light on another word, like, like as an equal. But in Genesis 19, we see something about angels. Uh, and there came two angels, right? There came two angels to Sodom at even, right? So we got two angels show up, as the Bible says. They show up at Sodom, and Lot takes them into the house. You know the story, I think, 
right? He brings them into the house. But look at verse number five. Let's see what they're called in verse number five. Verse number five. So the men come, right? These perverts come and they start banging on the door and they want to, they wanna, you know, you know what they want to do with these, these angels, right? They don't want to play tiddlywinks. They don't want to say, bring them out that we may know them. It isn't like I want to find out their social security number, okay? All right. And it says in verse five, and they called unto Lot and said unto them, where are the men? See that? Where are the men? You know what it tells me first? Angels of God are not sexless beings. They look like men. They're male. Right? They're male. They see these angels. There's no wings. Right? There's no long flowing hair. And not a single angel in your Bible is ever a woman. Sorry, ladies. I love you. My wife's a woman. My mom's a woman. My daughter's a woman. I have nothing against women, but there isn't a single angel in the Bible that is female. They're always appearing as a 33-year-old male. Where are the men? Two angels. Go to Genesis 32. Let's keep reading. All right? Let's look at another instance of where these angels show up. So the angels of God are not sexless. They are male. Okay? So when Jesus said... You're going to be as the angels of God. doesn't mean you're going to be some neuter being, you know, some disembodied spirit. You're going to be like the angels. Genesis 32, uh, here's the story of Jacob. And Jacob is wrestling the angel of the Lord. And it says in Genesis 32, 24, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled, there it is again, a man. He's wrestling the angel of the Lord, but he's wrestling a man, it says with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, watch this, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now that's a great lesson because God wanted Jacob to admit what he was before he changed him. And what did Jacob mean? Deceiver supplanter, thief. He says, you want, you want to get blessed, Jacob? The first thing you got to do is admit, who are you? And that's the first step of God ever blessing you. You've got to admit, I've been a liar. I've been a thief. I've been a supplanter. I've been a deceiver. God, I have sinned. And then God opens up the floodgates and blesses you and fixes you and restores you. But that's a message for another day, getting off the message box there. And then he says, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God. But I thought he was wrestling a man. But here it says he was wrestling God and with men and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. See? And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face in my life is preserved. So now we learn something else about the angel of the Lord, right? The angel of the Lord is an appearance of God. He says, you're wrestling with an angel. Then it says you're wrestling with God. Then he says you're wrestling with a man. Then it says you saw God. Because you could take the word angel and almost substitute the word appearance for it. You ever read about in Acts chapter 12 when Peter's in prison? And they get Peter out of prison, and he's knocking at the gate. And they say, oh, it must be his angel. Just an appearance of him. 
right? So the angel of the Lord is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, right? Now, he wasn't manifest in the flesh like he was in 2,000 years ago, but it was an appearance, okay? Stay with me now. So, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was a 33-year-old male, wasn't he? They saw men when they saw angels. The angel of the Lord was a man, an appearance of God, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. All right, let's let's just keep going here. Let's go to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Now, another angel is, is uh, the angel of the Lord is appearing to, uh, to Samson's parents. Judges 13, verse number, let's read 3 and 6. I'm not going to read the whole story, just for time's sake, but Judges 13, verse 3 and 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. So here's this heavenly announcement of Samson's birth. Who appears there? The angel of the Lord, an appearance of God. What did he look like? Jump to verse number 6 and listen to how the woman described it to her husband. Here's the woman now telling uh, Manoah what he looked like. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God. The angel of the Lord, a man of God. Because that's what an angel looked like. It looked like a man, like a young man, an angel of God. Very terrible, but I asked him not whence he was. Let me me read that properly. A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. Have you not read in Revelation when John saw the countenance of Jesus Christ and it shined above the sun? It was almost too terrible and awesome to even look at. Right? That's what we're seeing here, right? An appearance of, of God in the Old Testament. All right, let's look at verse number 17. All right, 17. 17. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? Isn't that what Jacob asked him? Asked the same question. That when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. And the angel of the Lord told, said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel or an appearance of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Right? So the angels of God, there is, was the angel of the Lord, right? Which was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And then there were angels of God who were just basically made just like them, looked very much, just looked like, looked just like them, right? They weren't Jesus Christ, but guess who they looked like? They looked like a 33-year-old male. They looked like you know, that Old Testament appearance of the Lord, the angel of the Lord and the angels of the Lord. So I'm trying to establish here in my feeble way that there were angels of God and there were angels of the devil and the angels of God looked like men, were Old Testament appearances that looked like Jesus Christ, 33-year-old men. Let's keep going now. Let's just keep going right before I lose you. Hold on. I'm going somewhere. Now, in the resurrection, what happens? We get a body like who? We get a body like Jesus Christ, right? Okay. 
Let's look at those verses. Romans 8. Let's get to our New Testament here a little bit. Romans 8. And I know your mind might be going all these directions. I'm just laying some groundwork here. I'm not being super dogmatic, but I'm just trying to follow the verses here. Romans chapter 8. Somebody asked a question. I've got to give a Bible answer as best I see it. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 29. Romans 8, 29. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, meaning those who were saved, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he says, for the Christian, you're going to get conformed one to the image. Okay? Now stay with me now. That's Romans 8.29. Okay, now go to Philippians 3.21. Philippians 3.21. Philippians 3.21. Philippians 3.21. Here we go. Philippians 3.21. It speaks about God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, I should say, who shall change our vile body. Isn't, it, isn't this body vile? Yes. Yeah. I know it smells real good when you put perfume on it, but you got to put cologne on it and you got to wash it because let it go three days, especially my teenage brothers in the room. Let it go three days without a shower. It's like something died. And you're talking to a guy that's taught high school for 20 years. And I know when I walk by the smelly kid, I know what I'm smelling, right? I know it's like, it's pretty potent stuff, right? It's just like, it's just a decomposing corpse that's animated, right? And, uh... God says, he sh- I'm just telling, the, bi- the word is vile, right? I mean, something makes you want to throw up, right? And uh, you just let a dead body sit there long enough, and guess what? It'll make you want to throw up, right? Because that's what this thing is. Just a, it's just a vile body, God says, who shall change our vile body. Thanks for coming here tonight, by the way. I appreciate all of you and your smiling faces. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, Right? So notice in Romans 8.29, it says you're going to get conformed to His image. Philippians 3.21 says you're going to be like His body. Stay with me now. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Is anybody's head hurting yet? Are you still with me? Still with you. Okay. You don't sound too confident, so I'm going to keep on. All right. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. All right. 1 John 3. Behold, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Isn't that amazing that God would give you that designation? Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I don't quite know what it's going to look like. I'll be honest with you. I'm just trying to see the verses. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, meaning that rapture, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know the word hope in your Bible, if you trace it back to its first mention, it's about life from the dead. The first time hope is used, it's about life coming out of something dead. And he says, you got this hope that there's going to be a resurrection, and in that resurrection, you're going to have a body like his body. I only make your head spin just for a second, if it's not spinning already, all right? 
This is me living in this labyrinth. Notice Romans 8 said image, and then other verses said like, like this. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. The image is the spiritual. The likeness is the shape. It says he's going to be conformed to his image, and you're going to have a body like his. King, I mean, we can go further and say kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, son of God, son of God. We, we can go all the way with that. But I just want you to notice that that's how wild your Bible is. It says you're going to be conformed to a righteous Savior because the kingdom of God is righteousness. When Adam sinned, he lost the image of God. He lost that righteous relationship with God. And the kingdom of God did not show up again until the image of God, whose name was Jesus Christ, showed up 2,000 years ago to put that image back into man who get born again and get that image renewed. Okay? The likeness was that physical part. God doesn't look like a giraffe or a hippopotamus or an umbrella. Right? You were made in the image and the likeness of God. And it says you're going to be conformed to His image and have a body like His. Now go to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to get phone calls. I'm going to get phone calls. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Look for, now 1 Corinthians 15, what's it all about if you know 1 Corinthians 15? First, resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. Look what he says in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. That's the body you got now. That's why it's breaking down. It is raised in incorruption. Never break down. It is sown in dishonor. Doesn't this flesh cause you so much shame? Amen. Right? It is raised in glory, like unto his glorious body. It is sown in weakness. Aren't you weak? Right? Can't even get your eyes to look at the right stuff half the day, right? It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And it looks like in the resurrection, we get a spiritual body like Jesus Christ had after he was resurrected. A spiritual body that can eat like Jesus Christ ate without having to worry about it. Don't have to count calories when you have a spiritual body. You just eat for the enjoyment of eating. I'm really looking forward to that. (laughs) A body that could pass through solid objects, like Jesus Christ went through walls and doors. A body that could travel infinitely faster than the speed of light, could go back and forth to the third heaven in a matter of a few hours. That's what Jesus Christ was doing after the resurrection. That's somebody God's got waiting for you, like unto His glorious body. You say, why would He do that? Now, if you get this, this is, this is big picture stuff. We are replacing the fallen sons of God. Right? Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ's death was to reconcile all things that are in heaven and that are in earth. So let's say there were, just for numbers sake, 10 sons of God followed Lucifer in the very beginning. So God says, I'm going to get those 10 saved. I'm going to change them, and they're going to replace 
and restore all those things and be those spiritual beings that I wanted to have in the beginning. Right? That's like the big, if you can get that, you say, wow, my life's a lot bigger than just going to church and trying not to mess things up. So uh, you could see that. We could Now, let's go back to our verse now. Why does Jesus Christ say we're going to be as, so those, those are spiritual beings, right? We're going to be as the angels of God, because you're going to get that spiritual body in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Why did Jesus stick that in there? You're going to be as the angels of God in heaven. Why didn't he just stop it with the angels of God? Because there's some angels that aren't in heaven anymore. You're going to be like those ones. You're going to be like the ones that are in heaven, the, one, the good guys. So go with me now. Go with me, to, go with me to Genesis chapter 6. Let me show you about those angels that, are, that left heaven. Right? Genesis chapter 6. Just let me... I'm gonna, I'll hit this and then we'll... I'll give you this. Genesis chapter 6. All right? Verse 1 and 2. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God, that's an Old Testament designation for angels, saw the daughters, right? Because they're watching. They're the watchers. They saw the daughters of men that, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. There are rebellious angels, uh, evil angels, that left heaven to cohabitate with women and give spawn to a race of giants that God had to flood the earth in. There were angels. We're going to be as the angels of God in heaven, but those are the ones that left heaven. Now go to Job chapter 1. There's a little lesson in there. Be careful what you watch. Because those angels were checking out those girls and saying, I'm going to go get me some of that. And if they fell privy to that sin, guess what? You'll fall privy to that sin. So be careful what you watch. But that's a little preaching in it. Go to Job chapter 1 now. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 shows us that the sons of God is a designation for angels in the Old Testament. Job chapter 1 verse 6. Job chapter 1 verse 6. The Bible says... Bible says, Pat, turn to the verse before you tell everybody to turn to it. Job 1, 6. Uh, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Okay? Go to chapter 2, verse 1. Same thought, right? Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So these spiritual beings, they're checking in with God. And there's another good lesson in there for you, that the devil does not have an infinite reach. He doesn't have carte blanche. He only goes as far as the leash that the Lord lets him go. Right? He has always come in and check in with God, say, what have you been doing, boy? Come over here. What have you been up to? I've been going up and down and to and fro. And guess what? He speaks very softly to Jehovah God when he comes in to to that presence like that. Go to 38, just to show you that these are not human beings, uh, chapter 38, I'm sorry, Job 38, verse number 4. This is a description of God laying the foundations of the earth, right, creating in the very beginning. Uh, Job 38, verse 4, God asks Job, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. 
Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There were angels watching the Lord's creation. The sons of God in the Old Testament is a designation not for people that were saved by grace through faith like you today. It's a designation for angels because there's no way there was any man standing there watching God form the earth. The angels were there though and he calls them sons of God. Now you want to notice something really, really interesting. The oldest, oldest book of your Bible is the book of Job. You know where Job starts? Job starts with God pulling back the veil and showing you the spiritual conflict Amen. that undergirds everything that happens in your life. You know, God, the oldest book of the Bible, does not start with the cosmos and the firmament and the creative act. It starts with spiritual beings checking in with God and one of them picking a fight and God picking a fight with him. You know what that tells me? That this whole thing called life is so much bigger than what we see. It's about something in spiritual, beyond the scenes, that is so profound that if we ever grabbed a hold of it, your little life would seem so important. Because it's about a spiritual battle between God and the devil and how you could stand for God to prove something to those beings that God is good and just and worthy and wise. So, just pay attention now. Go to Psalm 104. Let's look at those angels now. Let's look at those sons of God. You say, why are they sons of God? Because they were God's children in the Old Testament. He begot them. He created them, right? Look at Psalm 104. What were those angels like that God made? How did God make them? Psalm 104.4. The Bible says that God maketh His angels spirits. His ministers a flaming fire. Remember when Manoah watched that angel go up in the flame? Right? He made his ministers a flaming fire. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm almost done there, man. I'm going to saturate you a few more minutes and then I'll let you go home and have a latte. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 6. I mean, we call it Bible study. I don't know what else to talk about. Hebrews 1, verse 6. Um... And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, meaning Jesus, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. The angels worship Jesus Christ. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1 draws a distinction between Jesus and the angels. He's so much better than the angels, right? There's the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, and then there's all these angels of God. But don't remember, don't forget, Jesus Christ is God. Amen. And then there's all these other ones that bear that image. They look like him, but he's, he's the head honcho. He's God, right? So notice that God in Hebrews 1 draws a distinction. Let all the angels of God worship him. He's God, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. I have a note in my Bible that up until 1970, the New World Translation said uh, worship. You know, that's interesting. Up until 1970, right? Um, keep going to uh, verse number 7. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. There it is again, right? The angels are spiritual beings. Now jump to verse 14, and he's speaking about the angels again. Are they not all ministering spirits 
sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So God made these angels spirits. He made them spiritual beings. But some of them, some of them did not want to stay where God made them. And those are the ones that left heaven. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll look at that. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse number 18. All right? Some of those angels rebelled. 1 Peter 3, 18. Remember, he made them spirits, right? We all read that together. About four verses. Spirits, 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 spirits. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. If there's one verse you got tonight, that's the verse to get. That verse shows you how to be saved. Christ died, the just for the unjust. Then he keeps going and he says, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now nowhere in your Bible are you called a spirit. So he's not preaching to people in hell, but some spiritual beings had rebelled against God and had been put in some kind of prison. And when Jesus Christ descended into that lower parts of the earth, He went and He must have preached to them. What the contents of those messages were, I don't know. I can't wait to hear them. They come out on MP3 soon, I think. But they must. And when did this happen? Verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, we read about some sons of God that left heaven and a flood came, and then Jesus preached to some spirits in prison who were disobedient during the days of Noah? Mm -hmm. Right? Sounds like God wrote the Bible, right? So there's some spirits in prison that rebelled and are being judged in Noah's day. Let's go to 2 Peter now, chapter 2. We're just putting verses together, that's all. Putting verses together. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned. Ah, now these God calls them out. These angels that sinned. Right? They're not robots. They've got choice. Everything God made had choice. Lucifer had a choice. Angels have a choice. You have a choice. Right? There's choice. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Sounds like prison to me. There are the angels that sinned. And verse 5 shows you again, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah. He connects those angels again with the time of Noah. He says there were all these angels that sinned. And he saved Noah. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 6 and 7. It shows the same thing. He says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, overthrowing them with an overthrow, making them an end sample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot. You know what God's talking about? Verses 4 to 7, how God could save one out of a wicked situation. Here's all these angels that sin, they're cohabitating with women, they're giving forth the race of giants, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he saved Noah. And then he compares it to, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, when the angels came down and and the men wanted to go after them and there was all kinds of wickedness and debauchery again. And God says, I'm going to burn them up. And he flooded them in Noah's day. He burned Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did he do? But he saved just Lot. He saved Noah and he saved just Lot. Same situation. One being saved out of a wicked situation. Now go to the book of Jude. Hey Jude. Verse 6. 
right before uh, Revelation. All right, Jude 6. That was funny. I thought I was going to get to a second question. That's hysterical. Jude 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate. How did he make them? Spirits. But some angels didn't like the way God made them and wanted to take on flesh and go down there and cohabitate with women. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. These angels, these angels that sinned, these angels in prison, these angels we're talking about, left their first estate, left that condition of spirit being to take on flesh and marry and have children. You get that? They married and they had children. Go to Psalm 82 now. One more on that. It's all in the Bible. You just passed over this in your devotion. Psalm 82. Psalm 82. You can see a lot of preaching in that though, right? Because sometimes we get discontented with how God made us and where God put us. And those angels are no different. Psalm 82 verse 1. Psalm 82 verse 1. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. The mighty, the gods, lowercase g, were terms for angels. And in verse number 6, look what he says to them. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, right? What are they called in the Old Testament? Sons of God. You're all children of the Most High. He's talking to the angels here, folks. But you shall die like men. You know why you're going to die like a man? Because you left your first estate. You took on flesh to go marry and have children with those women that I told you not to do. And I'm going to reserve you in chains. And you perished in that flood and you died like a man. Right? That's what he's saying right there. God's dying like men? Reserved in judgment. 1 Corinthians 6. Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? He says that to the church. You're going to judge the angels, the ones that left heaven. So let's now put it all together in a roundabout way. Go back to Matthew 22, verse 30. Let's look at that verse again. Ready? I'll probably have to do a question and answer about this question and answer. Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Let me just read it again. Let's see what Jesus said now. Matthew twenty two thirty. For in the resurrection they neither marry, mm, nor are given in marriage, Genesis 6, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Let's put it all together. What do you like in the resurrection? You're equal to Jesus Christ who doesn't marry and have children. The angels in heaven do not marry and have children. They're male, like Christ. Right? They, 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 they're spiritual beings. That's the put together. That's what he says to the Sadducees. He says, will you recognize people? Sure. But the relationship is different. These individual families we have down here, that is not, hap- that is not there anymore. It becomes one big family. And you'll be... Right, right. Same as Jesus Christ who doesn't marry and doesn't have children. That's why he says you're going to be as the angels of God in heaven. 
You're not marrying. You're not having children, right? The Mormons will tell you you're going to go out to the planet Kolob and have spirit babies. No, that's not what the Bible says about you anyway. It doesn't say that about you. Now, we may recognize each other in heaven. We may know each other, but the relationship would be different. That's what I want you to see. The relationship would be different. We won't be like those evil angels that are marrying and having children. Now, let me just go to 1 Corinthians 2. We'll end with this thought. It may seem sad, and I know, because you may think, oh, I'm going to lose everything I love down here. See, that's the devil filling your mind. It may seem sad, but you're judging everything by only what you know now and what you think is great now. But you know, years ago, and you guys can laugh at me, I remember getting my first ColecoVision, right? Like my first video game system. I was, right? Gas-powered. It was great. I mean, I had a, and, I, and it was like, yeah, I put the gas. It was de- ran on diesel gas, I think. It made the living room smell. And I would get there, and, you know, I was so amazed that I had one joystick with one button, and I could play, like, Space Invaders or Pong, and, you know, just bounce a ball against the screen, and it was the most amazing thing in the world. I thought it was awesome. But if you were to see the games that people are playing today, you'd be like, what was the big deal about that? Look what we got now. And dear brethren, our relationships, our families down here are precious. And yes, those blessings go into eternity. And I'm not saying that stuff's all going to be forgotten. But you know what? What the Lord has in store for us is so much more of a wow. So you might see it right now and go, Oh, but I'm not going to be married to you the same way. Or I'm not going to be like your dad the same way. And we're judging everything by my little ColecoVision. Isn't this amazing? Joust, space invaders, wow. But God's got full color graphics, 30,000 buttons, an infinite gameplay, three dimensions. I mean, he's got something that's going to blow your mind. God always gives you something better. So when the devil creeps in and says, oh, that doesn't sound so good. I don't know if I like the way Pat's talking about that. I don't know if I like that scenario. Remember, God's always got something better. And 1 Corinthians 2, he says, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Do I understand all the details and everything I talked about tonight? Absolutely not. Do I have a kind of hazy, sketchy idea? Yeah, I think the Lord gives us a hazy, sketchy idea. But you know what the biggest thing to do is? Keep loving God. Because if you keep loving God, it's going to be better than what you have now. And as wonderful as it is now, it's going to pale in comparison to what the Lord gives you in the resurrection and beyond. So keep the faith, love the Lord, and let's get ready to go. Let's bow our heads. Father, uh, thank you so much for your time, Lord, that you give us to learn your word. I pray it made sense. I pray it was edifying, encouraging, maybe just challenging, Lord. It challenged me, Lord, to really understand. I tried to hold some things back, Lord, that made sense in my head, Lord, but I didn't want to go too far if things weren't clear, Father. But I pray you'd let the things that were important to remember 
be remembered, and those things that weren't important to remember, Father, let them fade away. But most of all, let's remember, Lord, that you are a great God with a big, big plan for us, Lord. And in our lives, Father, I'll speak for myself, may seem insignificant and may look like nobody's watching, but Father, we are part of a much bigger plan that you have that's going to go on into eternity, that's going to make this life look like that silly Calico, Father. I look forward to that day. May you encourage us, Lord, and, and whet our appetites for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.